that's what we want today. We want to celebrate his wonder to restore his wonder to our hearts. Two words have been on my heart, wonder and hunger. This week in our devotion, we talked about radical hunger for God. And just that wonder and hunger that God would come and infuse us with that this morning. That's been my prayer early this morning for you, for me, that God would somehow fill me with his words and his spirit to be able to convey to you and represent his heart for you, his love for you, his desire for you, and that your heart would be uh, lit ablaze by his spirit. I, I think of the word wonder and the restoration of wonder. We're not alone people that feel like we grow cold or we stray away, like all sheep have gone astray from the shepherd of our souls. There, there were others, David, he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit in me, God. Restore that joy, I've known that joy. Restore that joy, renew that spirit in me. We need restoration and renewal, right? I do. And I think of others, even when Luke was writing Revelation, he said, remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and return to your first love. You gotta remember the height from which you've fallen and repent, come back and return. And the author of Hebrews in chapter 10 said something similar. Remember the early days when God shined his light into our heart and we suffered you know, joyfully for him? Just remember the early days, remember those early days of knowing him when your heart was set ablaze. God, we wanna remember that, restore that to us. And cause us to find joy again in your salvation. While you're standing, I just wanted to read the passage to honor his word before we dive into it, found in Philippians chapter three. We're gonna start in verse four. Paul is starting out and he's just giving the credentials he has in the flesh. Like I, I have no reason to need God because I have a lot of credentials. I have a great pedigree. I have so many gifts. I have so much confidence. My flesh, I have so many natural abilities. And he said, I myself have reasons to be confident. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Pretty cocky sucker, isn't he? Circumcised on the eighth day, we'll explain that later, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, the aforementioned gains I just mentioned to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And I consider them dung, you read it right, dung, crap, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from obeying the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We wanna become like him today. We wanna know him today. And this is a passionate verse. And so God, I would ask for you to meet us where we're at. And I know it's early in the morning and a lot of us came in here and we're not ready for what's about ready to happen. So I pray that you would just prepare the soil of our souls for what you're about to plant inside of us, for what you're gonna introduce to us. And may the words of my mouth 
and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, oh God. And I pray this in your son's name, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. You can have a seat. I, I sometimes forget that you guys haven't known me my whole life. And I try to share stories so that you can get to know sort of the historical contextual Jason, but you really don't know me that well. I know me pretty well. I've been with me a long time. Um, ever since I can remember, I've been around. And I've watched me do things almost like an out-of-body experience that I couldn't believe I did. And I've chosen to do things that I could believe I did and couldn't believe I did at the same time. But there are, there are some of you here that know me for 15 years since I've moved to Lowell or 12 years or nine years or five years or two years or maybe three weeks or maybe this is your first day and you have no idea who you're looking at. And it would be really easy if even you've been here one day, you're like, that's the guy that jumps up really excitedly during songs and sings for a little bit and then opens this book and then shares passionately about that book. And that's what you're putting together in your head today. And even if you've been here several years, you're like that dude, he, he's a real passionate guy. I hear that. He's a, he's a really great guy, really talented in this and really must've been called from an early age. You know, he popped out of the womb as a man of the cloth, you know, just had a calling on his life. He must've knew at an early age, God must've whispered to him like Samuel, 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 I hear your voice, Lord, speak for your servant hears. That was not my story. I got saved when I was five years old and I think all that meant was I didn't want to go to hell. And when I heard about hell and the alternative was heaven, I was like, I'll take the alternative. What do I got to do? Will you say these words? So I said these words with my mom on that couch in our living room on 45 West Van Buren Street and I asked Jesus into my heart, which is actually impossible. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart because Jesus is the physical representation of God. It would be hard for him to fit inside of you. But I invited the spirit of Christ into me and then lived for the next, oh, 12, 13 years as a practical atheist. And all that means is I, I, I lived as if Christ did not exist and he certainly didn't come to my mind that much and he didn't uh, inflame my heart with a desire to please him. I was disobedient. I didn't think about him. I was not demonstrative in my faith. I didn't share my faith with other people. Quite frankly, I was embarrassed of Jesus. I was ashamed of Christ. I didn't want to let people know who I was and what I had done and even was somewhat embarrassed of my church and my family. And so I kind of hid. And I, I'm, I'm a guy that did some things in my life I'm not proud of, just like a lot of you here. In fact, most of you here, I sowed my wild oats early. I was a kid who got in trouble for stealing I stole, I stole cartons of cigarettes and I'd take them down by the lake and I'd smoke them. And I, while I was stealing cigarettes, I stole that fake jewelry that's up by the cashiers. It's like covered in gold because I wanted to be a pirate. And I had a pile of fake jewelry down by the lake because I was a pirate. And then I got caught and my dad took me to all the managers of Green's Variety Store and Wayne's Drugs and Super Duper. And I had to apologize to the managers of these stores and make restitution to them. 
I, I would vandalize things just for the thrill of it. I'd throw rocks through people's windows and then run away wondering if someone was chasing me and oftentimes they were and that's why the cop was at our door several times and my mom and dad I know were thinking we are raising not just a hoodlum, a heretic and this guy is a sinful little kid and he's only nine and 10 years old. And then I grew up and just like any warm-blooded young man, I sort of was drawn to girls and was into pornography and, and I was all about, you know, just kind of the, the object and they were sex objects to me in my head and I had no adults to talk to about the desires that were starting inside of me at an early age and so sexual fantasy was a part of my life for my early years all the way into college where I first opened up about what was going on inside of my heart. That was going on all the time, every day. Hidden life, secret life. I got a job, I loved working hard, I was into manual labor, I loved honest toil, I loved sweating, I loved piecework because the harder you work, the more money that you made and so I got involved in fruit and produce and would pick apples and drops for cider and then I was invited to work full time on the farm during the summers, gave up sports during the summer and worked and worked and, and got promoted and got promoted and then got into landscaping and landscape design. By the time I was 18, I was offered a job for $45,000 a year to actually just stay on at Ontario Orchards and to just keep running that nursery and the business and the landscaping business. I loved accomplishment and achievement. Can I get a witness from guys in this place or gals in this place? Like I was into that stuff. I love to work hard. You see me up here as kind of a mamby-pamby wussy pastor. I love to work hard. I love the woods. I went out in the woods with my dad. We felled trees. We heated our house with wood. I loved being out in the woods. I loved working hard. I loved sports. I loved watching sports. I loved playing sports, any sport. I was into sports. Athleticism was a huge part of my life. I loved competition and I loved conquest. I loved to compete and to conquer people. I'm a man. <laughs> Just like Paul's saying, if I have any confidence in the flesh, if you do, I have more. I could tear people apart. I broke two collarbones in two games in a row when I was playing soccer. I love that. Just, I was like, just hanging them up like scalps, man. I loved it. And I became the MVP my junior year and my senior year and I went to college and I became an All-American. I was into sports and women and work and money and accomplishment and achievement and, and just, just altogether just driven by nature without Christ. My nickname, it became a, a horrible thing to sort of bear as a name into my future was the natural. And what I see Paul doing here is like the natural. Anything you touch turns to gold. And he's like, you're right. I have a great pedigree. I have a great resume. I have great credentials. I could do all kinds of things. In fact, I've done all kinds of things. And instead of the 40,000 a year at age 18 with full benefits, I decided to go to college for four years, rack up debt, and then become a youth pastor and make $28,000 a year. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
So I know what it's like to know what I could be and what I could achieve and accomplish as, as a natural, like gifted person in, in a multitude of areas, but God did something in my heart and I got saved when I was five, but something happened when I was 18. Mom and dad wanted me to go to Bible college for a year and I didn't wanna go to Bible college because I didn't like church, I didn't like the Bible. I couldn't read the Bible, I could care less about this book. I really didn't like singing in church. I really didn't understand messages. It was over my head. I had other things going on in my mind. I didn't want to go to Bible college, but I loved my mom and dad with all my heart. And I want to honor my father and mother because they sacrificed so much for me. So I th said, the least I can do at age 18 is go to Bible college. Most of the credits will transfer and then I'm going to a college in Florida. And in my freshman year, I was just chasing after girls, just got out of a relationship with Kara Skripnik and I was looking at a couple other girls and then this one girl came along named Heidi and it was game over right there. She just got me and won my heart and that's been my wife for 23 years. We've known each other 27 years from our freshman year. Little does she know and she knows by now, I didn't really love God with all my heart when I met her. In fact, I was just faking the funk for the nasty dunk even in that relationship, trying to come across like I was this kind of spiritual guy, but I really wasn't. I was bereft of life in my heart and passion and zeal for the Lord. But I got in this one class, it was evangelism explosion and evangelism for those of you that don't know what that is, it's sharing your faith with other people, that which I did not do. And I could take tests on it and we could have little mock things where we sat across from each other and fake talk to each other about Jesus in class and that was all fine and good. But one project we had to go to New York City and share our faith on the streets of New York City and in the subways of New York City. And I grew up in New York, central New York, but that's six hours from New York City. I'd never been to New York City. So we get in Manhattan, millions of people all around, crazy people, crazy amazing. And we go to this inner city church and there's this African-American man who gives us kind of a little orientation on the street smarts and the book smarts of what you're gonna share when you share your faith and what we're gonna do in the streets and on the subways, what you wanna do and what you don't wanna do, where you need to be and where you can't be. And when you get on the subways and we get off, if you get left, go to the next one and get off all of this, this protocol that we had to learn. But one of the things he said is when you get on the subway, you have about a minute and the, the doors close before the next terminal. And in that minute, I'm just going to point to you and you got to step up and you got to share your faith and who Jesus is and, and lead them to salvation in about 45 seconds to a minute. Now, at that time, I had a phobia of speaking in front of people, which I still do. My heart pounds every time I get up here. I'm good now, but it takes me about five minutes to work through that panic of speaking in front of people. So imagine being down there. I'm 18 years old. I don't really care much about God. And I got up in front. I remember we come, the people flood in and flood out and the doors close, ding! And he looks at me, he's like, you. And I stepped up on my chair, and, and that's normal in New York City. Crazy people step up and just start talking about all kinds of things, but it's because they're strung out. I was sort of just a normal guy, sober-minded, and I'm about ready to talk about Jesus for 45 seconds. And I stood up, and I was like, hi, my name's Jason. And I remember exactly what I said, I'm not from here. <laughs> like you couldn't tell. 
I'm not from here, but I want to tell you about Jesus and Jesus loves you. And there's this one verse, the only verse that I knew at the time, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He loved you so much. He gave his son to die for your sins. So you wouldn't have to die for your sins and you could have eternal life in Christ. And I don't know if anyone wants to cry and say, Jesus, please save me. I want to be in heaven with him. Ding, boom, the doors are opening. They're flooding out. And then our guy, our guide was like, we got to go too. This is the time we're off. So my knees are shaking and I'm freaking out, like gone through a traumatic, dramatic experience. I'm trying to get out of the subway. I get out and I'm just like, holy cow, did I get out? Did our, our group get out? What did I just do? And I was standing there, we were getting ready to leave. And all of a sudden I felt on my shoulder, a hand and I turned around. It was this older woman. And she said, son, I just did what you said. I was like, that can't be, you know. <laughs> not what I just did. That was 45 minutes of absolute nonsense. What did I even say? And she said, I, I asked Jesus to be my savior. And something in me at age 18, like a dam or a levee, broke inside of me. And the, the spirit of God just poured living waters into me. And I remember that moment, that encounter, that divine appointment of God that shattered something inside of me. All the fleshly Jason that thought I was all cool and all great and all accomplished and all attractive and all you know knowing in some ways at age 18. And he came in and just showed me his purpose for my life, that he was of great worth and that he could use me if I would open my mouth even for 45 seconds that he could use me and I remember driving home for two hours to Scranton Pennsylvania where the office is and and uh, right around there is where it was taped in Clark Summit Pennsylvania and I went to my dorm and no one was in the lobby no one was down in my suite no one was in my room not even my roommate Screech that's what we called him from Saved by the Bell his hair was really big he was a Canadian nobody was there just me, and I was so glad because I opened up my Bible, this Bible that my mom and dad got me, King James Version. Anybody know what I'm talking about? KJV 1611, that's the fundamental church that I came from. There was no other Bible. It was really, really hardcore at Southwest Oswego Baptist Church, let me tell you. And I had this big Bible, this life application Bible. I'd never really opened it up a whole lot. I'd never written in it. And I remember that day I opened up Philippians, what we're talking about today. This was a remembrance today or this week for me and I went down and dug this out of a box and blew all the dust off of it. And I opened it up and I started writing in my Bible for the first time because I was turned on to God. Amen. And I have a picture. And this was all what I did that one Saturday night when I got home from New York City. My hunger for God began. Yes. 
I didn't even know what I was circling. Hey, joy looks like a cool world. I'll put a box around that. Hey, servants and saints, they both start with the letter S. That's cool. Some of these things I didn't even know. Oh my goodness. I long for you with all the bowels of Jesus Christ. Well, I've never even heard of a BM, you know, in those terms, but I'm having a BM right now, right here in the Bible. I guess Jesus has a BM as well. And I just started circling and this started to pour into my heart in his word. I didn't just read his word I heard his voice I wasn't always as you know me to be and you don't have to always be who you have been God can encounter your life. You can be filled with the spirit. And I'm talking even religious people here that your love has grown cold. The desire has never been turned up. The heat in your life of passion in your life. And some of you remember that and some of you have left that long behind because you've been hurt by somebody or you feel like you're not worthy because of a decision that you actively made in your life. And I'm telling you, God wants to light you ablaze for the glory of God today, like he did Paul, like he did me. And Paul starts off and he remembers that road to Damascus where he got knocked off his horse on his butt and he encountered Jesus and he just couldn't believe what Jesus you know, did to him and meant to him and his whole life was transformed. He went from church persecutor to church planter, just like that. And he says, though I have many reasons to be confident, And if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more because I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew, Hebrews, in regards to the law, Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He wanted to let the people know that I have a lot that could be considered gains in my life. If there's anyone that's not desperate for God, it's gotta be Paul. Paul has no physical, human, rational need to see God as worthwhile in his life because he was worthy. He was seen as worthwhile. He had value. He had worth. He had significance in and of his own flesh. And he's like, if anyone should be confident in the flesh and have no need for God, it should be me. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That doesn't mean a lot to us, but that means I had great parents. I had parents who were dedicated to God and even before I had a will to make a decision, they were taking me to the temple of God in Jerusalem from where I was born and they circumcised me, which means that they were depending on God even though I was a dependent and I was raised in a great home where they were nurturing me before I even had the will to make decisions. I had a great set of parents. And I was also from the people of Israel, which that's a pretty lucky thing. The people of God, the holy chosen people of Israel was born into that nation. I grew up in a great nation. Like I I believe I was born in a great nation. I'm not a Hebrew, that would be really cool, but I was born in America and I love America. I'm telling you, it hit me as I was growing up. I thought everybody was born into the family I was and into the nation I was, but when I realized that even if I was filled with poverty, I was still exorbitantly more wealthy than the world at large. Like I was born into wealth and opulence even though my family was really poor. 
the blessings that are around us that we just sit in the hot tub of and soak and we don't even recognize this. I was born in a great nation. And I was born in that nation, in the Hebrew nation, in the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin, if you, you don't know, is really, really special. It's preferred. It's a privileged tribe to be born into. Out of all of Jacob's sons and all his sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, Benjamin was the only son that was born in Canaan in the promised land. Everybody knew this. This is the guy that was born in the promised land. And when they broke up the promised land into different territories for different tribes, guess what territory Benjamin got? The place where the city of God, Zion is, the holy city of Jerusalem is in the Benjaminite, Benjamite territory. The first king of Israel, Benjamite, Saul, who Saul later to become Paul was named after when the tribes broke up and there was a rebellion and 12, 10 tribes went to the north, only Benjamin was loyal to Judah to go with Judah to the south where the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, came from that tribe. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. And in Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, oh yeah, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. That means, in our terms, I'm the goat. I'm the greatest of all time. I'm the best of the best is another way to put it. When everybody looks around in the Hebrew like people, they look and I am a standout. I'm outstanding among my peers. I am the next best thing. I'm the prodigy. I'm the genius. I'm the one that they're counting on to represent us to the nations. I'm a Hebrew. I have talents above talents. People look at me and they're like, that guy, that's Doogie Hauser right there. That doesn't make sense to a lot of you, but from a young age, we've seen this guy has just greatness written all over him. He had great giftedness among the Hebrews. He said, as it pertains to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Not everyone became a Pharisee, which were one of the leaders in the Hebrew ranks because you had to memorize the whole Torah or the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He memorized all those at an early age and then a rabbi had to select you and he was selected by a rabbi, but not just any rabbi, Gamaliel, which was the rabbi that was most revered and venerated in all of the Hebrew nation. You can read about him in Acts. When he talked, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. When Gamaliel talked, people paid attention. And he sat at his knee and was tutored by him and he became his protege. He says, as for zeal, you wanna talk about passion? I persecuted the church. And if you remember the story of Paul before he came to know Christ and his conversion story, he was a leader that started a movement against Christians and that movement became a revolution. And when he led, people followed him. He had such influence. He's like, I was a great leader. There's great leadership written all over him. This is why he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. The Hebrews were counting on him in this revolution against the Roman empire oppression. They thought this guy's gonna lead us through that and possibly out of that. That's how gifted he was. He says, as it pertains to righteousness that comes from the law, I'm blameless. 
This guy knew the law, all 16, 613 laws and kept them and was faultless. He was devoted. This guy had great discipline. He was great in his responsibility. He was so devout to God. This guy knew his calling. He had a gifting and he had an anointing. He was the trifecta. He knew the Roman language, he knew Greek, he knew Aramaic, he knew Hebrew, he was a citizen of Rome, a citizen of Israel, a citizen of heaven, trifecta written all over this guy. And he was trying to set up my awesomeness. If I was to write a brochure of my awesomeness, I could hand out that brochure and you'd be like, yeah, yeah, he's got a point. He's got a point. This guy has an amazing pedigree, but all of the confidence he could have put in his credentials. He sets up how worthwhile and valuable that was to the world in which he lived. And then he moves to the next passage to set up that valuation of that in comparison to Christ. He says, whatever were gains to me, the aforementioned things I talked about, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them as dung that I may gain Christ. If there's anybody that shouldn't have felt a need for Christ and a hunger for Christ and a reliance and a dependence and obsession for Christ. It was this guy and he said, when I met Christ, a dam broke inside of my heart and everything that was gained to me, I considered loss compared to Christ. Reminds me of what Jesus did when he said, unless you hate your father and mother and your family and yea, even your own life, you're not worthy to follow me. He's not saying hate your wife, hate your kids, hate your family, hate yourself because the, the great commandment is love your neighbor as you love yourself. What he's saying is your love for me should be so all surpassing that it makes your love for everything else look like hatred in comparison that all the gains in your life that are legitimate that God will actually use and take and use as a platform for his purposes and his plans, he'll take and use them, but compared to his worth, all of your gains are considered losses compared to knowing Christ. I love that all surpassing worth, a surpassing worth, everything that I hold up is worthwhile. You surpass that in your worth to me, God. In fact, when you get up next to anything in my life that is the most worthwhile, in comparison, the word is dung, or in the Greek language, it's skubalon, which where we get scooby-doo. It's that which is thrown to the dogs, garbage or trash. It's the leftovers, it's the scraps. Everything else is scraps compared to you and it's also used as dung, which means refuse or excrement. Can you imagine just saying, my wife, she's a great girl, she's a horrible God. My husband, he's a great guy, he's a horrible God. My family's an amazing family. I'm so grateful and I appreciate them and I love them and I value them. But compared to Christ, they are like trash, garbage, rubbish, refuse. And I know this is a really zealous passage and I'm trying to communicate it with zeal and it seems like unachievable. It seems so distant. It seems so pie in the sky, so heavenly minded that it's almost impractical and impossible. But I'm trying to let you know, Paul's affection for Christ was surpassing worth in him. That it made everything else like a loss, like a deficit in comparison. 
Paul was getting in his life at alignment. Finally, my, my worth and my value system and my belief system are coming into alignment with the ordained order of how I was created in alignment with the divine design of God. And now it's making sense. His worth is finally known by me. See, I knew he was my savior for all these years, but he wasn't worth a hill of beans to me until he showed himself to me and his power came over me and I encountered him and he radically revolutionized my, my life in what I call the second awakening of my life. How many of you here need an awakening or a second awakening? There's some things that you don't even know you have the capacity to, to do because outside of Christ, unless he blows over the embers of your heart and blows the ash off your life that you already think is great and lights you ablaze for his glory, you don't even know what's inside of you that it's waiting to connect with its creator to be activated. He's the great activator and energizer once he is of greatest worth and you get off the throne and you get all of your values off the throne, whether it's your wife and your kids, your possessions, your money, your 401k, everything you put security in, everything you lean on and trust and put confidence in your fleshly achievements and accomplishments. Once you meet Christ, has anybody here said, all of that means nothing if only I could have you, Lord. And then once you have him and he's of surpassing worth, then everything else makes sense. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then everything else will be added unto you. He'll be good to you. Do you trust him? He will make you love your wife in a way that you've never loved her before, that you can't gin up in your own strength. He'll make you love your enemies. He'll make you love people that hate you. He'll make you have the ability to do things that right now overwhelm you and, and, and cause you to go into a panic and cause you to be paralyzed in fear. He will ignite that in you, but he's gotta be number one. If you still try to, in your own strength, pull yourself together, be a self-made man, read a bunch of like self-help books, you can't self-help your way into what I'm talking about today. You cannot. I don't care how good you are. And we got a lot of people that are really talented in this room. We got a lot of luminaries in this room with a lot of intelligence, uber talent in this room, uber opportunity in this room. Unless it is all considered lost that you may gain Christ, it will never be activated to its full potential. It will not. Only the gospel, the good news, once you find your life that comes through Christ and let it flow through you, do all those talents actually become illuminated and astonishing and take their place in this world to push back the darkness and to bring life and light to this world. I remember another awakening. I was a youth pastor and I was in need of God and I think I had started to rely on my own gifts, you know, my, my skill set, my willpower, my skill power, my thrill power, and we all got it. We can show up and we can show off in our life and we can make things happen, but not in a sustainable way. We break down. And I think that was happening in my life. And I went to this conference and Ken Rudolph, a guy who's been so instrumental in my life and upbringing, he was speaking and it was for our youth group and we were over in Indianapolis. And I remember he was speaking on Esther of all things. And there was something about for such a time as this and something got a hold of my heart as a youth pastor. And I knew I was bringing the students in order to experience God, but I was the one that was being laid bare before him. 
And I remember when it came time to come up to the altar to dedicate your life to Christ or give your life to Christ, I was out of my seat. I could care less about the students. I forgot I was there bringing students for an encounter. And I just got up to the front and I was weeping and crying and saying, God, don't pass me by. I want you. I'm sorry for taking my life into my own hands. I give you my life afresh. Fill me, God. I need you. I forgot that you were number one. God will never be an add-on or an additive. There's no other God beside him or before him. Commandment number one, I put him back on that throne of my life. And I remember that weekend, I, I went in, I was teaching Sunday school to the kids. Our, our church had Sunday school, and they're all just kind of sitting there loafing, falling asleep, passing notes, they could care less. And I'm pouring out my heart, and God just, I don't know what happened. Something came over me, and I just started weeping. I, I, my weeping for the students, for myself, for the world, and I couldn't even carry on. And I just left the classroom, and I went down to my office, and I didn't even turn on the light. I just fell prostrate, prostrate on the prostrate on the floor. Yeah, my prostate was there too. Um, I, that's doing just fine, just in case you were wondering. And I was on the floor, just prostrate before God, and I was weeping and in the dark, just crying out for revival in my heart, in my youth ministry. I wanted that so bad. And all of a sudden, after about 45 minutes, after church service was done, Students came into my office and they found me and a pile of students just piled on me and started crying and weeping and praying over me and sharing in my, my suffering and in and everything that I was experiencing in my life. And then like two weeks later, we decided to have an all night prayer vigil with high schoolers where we stayed up all night long and prayed. And 16 of them came to pray all night long with me in my basement. And I remember it was that next week I wrote a song that was out of Galatians 2.20 where it says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And it was connected to this passage in Philippians 3 as well. I consider all loss compared to knowing you. And I wrote a song called Come Crucify. And it was a song that went like this. I'm leaving my life. I'm laying it down for the love of you. I'm clutching my cross. I'm counting all loss compared to you. So come and lavish your love on my heart and ravish all life apart from you. And I am desperate for you. For me to live is nothing but you. You're unspeakable, unbelievable, irresistible. And I'm exploding inside. I'm dying to come alive. So come and meet me at the cross. Lord, I'm ready to die. Come and crucify. I just said, God, I want you to crucify my flesh. There's nothing compared to you. I'm desperate for you. I need you. Third great awakening in my life. And I've had tens of 20s of great awakenings in my life. Because just like you, I'm not always as I am this morning. Sometimes I'm just nervous and caught up in my own life and, and stressed over finances and thinking about all of the all of the delicacies of this world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life come in to take over my life and I have to re-surrender every day to God. My life is yours. Take it, use it, multiply my life.
This isn't something you do one time. Salvation's a one-time experience, but not sanctification. Sanctification keeps going on. He says, in the next verse, I consider them dung that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now we're talking about in that day when he stands before the Lord, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from obeying the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness, just in case you didn't hear it, Paul saying, that comes from God on the basis of faith. And I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And this is where he takes salvation by the flesh and salvation by faith. Salvation and by your works and acts of righteousness and salvation by faith in the finished work of Christ that you don't get to die for your sins because you're not holy and perfect. Only one person walked this earth as the God man that was perfect and it's a righteousness that's imputed to us by Christ because of his death. And it's only in faith in the finished work of Christ that he suffered, that he sacrificed, that he served, that he died, that I'm like, God, by faith, I accept that righteousness as my own so that I am found in that righteousness. When God finds you on your last day, when you're standing before God, you better be found in Christ. Because it's one thing to find Christ And it's one thing to know Christ and it's a whole other thing to be found by Christ and known by Christ. And this, this is the differential to me. I look at it in the attitudes and actions of people and I can tell whether God is just believed or whether God is beloved. Whether you have salvation that leads to a sanctification and a conviction in your heart. Let me tell you something. If you're, you're confident of your salvation, but you're never convicted of your sin, you should examine your heart. And you're like, are you trying to make us afraid? Why would we examine our heart? Because the Bible says to do that. In 2 Corinthians 13, I think it or 12, 13, examine yourselves. Do you not know that Christ Jesus is in you? Test yourselves. Do you not know whether you're in the faith and lest you indeed fail the test? That there's gonna be a day you stand before God and some are gonna say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and your name do many miracles and wonderful works? And he will say, I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. To be found in God in his righteousness and to be known by God is of most importance. And a lot of us know God intellectually and we've given intellectual assent to a bunch of propositional truths and you can come to church and you can do your devotions and you can tithe and you can look holy by lots of acts of righteousness, but it's only when you say by faith, God, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, God, I wanna be found in that, wrap that robe of righteousness around me. I give you my sin, cover me with your son. It's just the gospel. It's not by flesh. I could be an amazing pastor my whole life, bring so many people to Christ without knowing Christ. You know, one of my greatest fears is that somehow I will be so clever and so cunning, so smooth and suave in my delivery and who I am that it's all attractive to everyone else and I will lead you to satisfaction in your life but never salvation. God forbid that I lead you to, life is a little bit better and I'm getting better and better and Jason and the help of the church and all this stuff. We get to satisfaction on this earth but never salvation and need for Christ. God forbid that I become the obstruction to somehow get you to a place where you feel satisfied without Christ and never come to salvation. 
And Paul says, I wanna know Christ for real. A hundred. And I'm gonna fall and falter, but thank God it's not a righteousness of my own. I am saved by grace through faith, not of myself. It's a gift of God, not a works, lest any man should boast. That brings relaxation to me because I can never do enough to earn God's love and favor, but I don't have to. I can say, not a righteousness of my own, Lord, but by faith, on the basis of faith. I love you. And I live for you because you were, you're worth more than anything to me. And everything that was a gain to me, Lord, take that and redeem all of those things in my life and use them for your glory. I don't know what happened to you last week about this time in the afternoon when Kobe Bryant died with his daughter, but that just did something to me this week, man. I just imagine myself with my daughter and we're on a way to wait to one of her events and all of a sudden we're in a tailspin and I've got seconds. What would I do in the seconds where I grab my daughter and I pull her and I just say, I love you, honey. I'm so sorry. I love an evaporation and you're standing before God. And I don't care in 41 years if you got mamba mentality and you got all the accolades, really it just simplifies and whatever was gained to you will seem lost in that moment if you have not found Christ. You can have all of the, the house up in the hills and be known and have everybody even mourn your death and speak well of you. And he was an amazing man who did amazing things on this planet for 41 years. But one way or another, he was gonna die and stand before God. I don't want any of you to be like deer caught in the headlights because in headlights, it's eyes of holy fire that will be looking at you. And hopefully you'll just be able to say, I know God, I was a hot mess a lot in my life. But I can tell you one thing, I didn't just receive Christ as savior, I received him as Lord of my life and I tried to follow him when I didn't, I confessed my sin. And I felt through confession and through conviction and through him giving me a flame of desire and a passion for the people of this planet, I know it's through Christ, the righteousness, not of my own, but through Christ I stand before you. That's all I got. And he's like, that's, that's all you could ever have. Welcome. Forty-one years of just so much accomplishment. One of the ten best basketball players ever of all time. His life cut short. My heart's been broken by that. I don't know the state of his soul, but I, I just know if this week I've just been driving the car more carefully. Just been thinking about my family. I've been thinking about what really matters a lot this week. And when push comes to shove, what matters is am I found in Christ? And am I leading others to be found in Christ? Money, accolades, accomplishments, achievements, competition, winning, conquering, being awesome. Who cares? Who cares when it's all over? that I may gain Christ. I wrote a prayer out of this passage that I, I just think there's some people here, either you've left your first love and you wanna to return to your first love or you just for the first time wanna give Christ your life and be like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that I was made by him and for him and that I could actually feel in my heart a desire for him and I wanna give my life to him for the first time here today. I wanna to give you the opportunity to do that because I'm responsible to do that. 
I just to introduce you to Christ and introduce Christ to you. I want us all to say this just because just saying, Jesus, I see your worth is just such a huge thing of putting him in his rightful place and remembering what he's done for us. Everybody just say this with me. Jesus, I see your worth. You alone are worthy of my worship. All of my gains, all of my gifts mean nothing compared to you. You are my savior, Jesus. Save me from my sin and my selfishness. You are my Lord. I choose to follow you instead of asking you to keep following me. I believe you took the punishment for my sin so that I could be clothed in righteousness. I put my faith in you, not myself. Awaken my heart, Lord, and fill me with your Holy Spirit. This is for real. This is me giving myself to you for your purposes and plans. Take my life, change me, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. For many of you here, something is ignited in you this morning that has grown cold. But for some of you here, you gave your life to Christ for the first time and really meant it in your heart and understood the gravity and the worth of Christ, the surpassing worth of Christ. Now, I just wanna give you an opportunity to make that confession public because I just think that's what Jesus did. Everyone he called, he called publicly. So this close your eyes, bow your heads, and just sort of, you know, do salvation in secret just isn't how Jesus did it. Because I want to celebrate it with you as well, and I want you, like I had to step on that seat and declare the name of Christ to feel something inside of me, the nerves of like, I am confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. I saw on the count of three, I just want those of you that have, have given your life to Christ for the first time to just raise your hand and raise it high so we can celebrate that with you, okay? Three, two, one. Just raise it up. Just raise it up. Yep. Just keep it up. Just keep it up so I can see it. I see it. Yeah. And so... I can hardly believe it, but we're done here. And we're gonna have to just go into this world and, and then all of a sudden this afternoon, we're just gonna get a bunch of food and, and gather with friends and we're gonna watch the Super Bowl. But every Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday to me, every opportunity to get together is a time to celebrate your greatness and your gospel. But we're going to have to go out into this world again this week and we're going to be buffeted with all sorts of temptations and tribulations. And, and I hope that we can just pause on a regular basis and just say, you're worth more than this, God. God, you are the Lord of my life. God, you are what means the most to me more than anything else in this world. Set perspective again in my heart, God, that we would just have that perspective every day in that mindset that you are of surpassing worth to us. And then out of that will flow all of the things that we need to take care of out of your strength instead of our own. We love you, God. We worship you. We adore you. 
We don't just believe you. You are beloved to us, Lord. Where would we be without you, Jesus? Thank you for your rescue plan and for your plan of redemption, buying us off the slave block of sin and just bringing us to freedom, God. We owe you our lives. And our intention this morning is to just rush out of this place into a world and be the smile and the hug and the eyes and the countenance and the joy of Jesus to a world in need of you, Lord. Help us to do that and to represent you well. Thank you for those who found salvation this morning. Thank you for those here that came back to the heart of worship and worth that's found in you. Now help us each step of the way this week. Walk with us. Fill us by your spirit, God. Give us the power of your resurrection as we participate in your suffering, becoming like you in your death. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's have a great day. Let's have a great day. You're dismissed.